Bet365 sponsors Zonal Marking, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything that you need to bet on sport. The domestic season may be over, but we still have the finals of the Champions League and Europa League to play. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. And with over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hi there, welcome to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. Now, last week, we took our time, I would say, over the significant topic of Lionel Messi. We dissected every possible aspect of his game. Uh, This week, joining me is The Athletic's tactics writer, Michael Cox. And Michael, it's more of a short, sharp burst of, of tactical and player analysis talk me through our topic today well we've got uh, big games to talk about haven't we obviously two champions league semi-finals in midweek and straight on to the final on sunday night so yeah we're just going to be focusing on uh, the two three nil victories we saw in midweek and then having a chat about what's going to happen at the weekend between psg and bayern munich Sometimes we have another expert guest on the panel, but just you today. So I'm going to be working hard, wringing every last drop out of you like a wet towel full of tactics. Uh, let's get cracking. Um, but before we start, uh, uh, we're going to start with Bayern Lyon. Uh, but before we begin, uh, it's worth pointing out that you have been writing actual words on these matches as well, um, churning out tactical pieces on the Champions League games of the last week or so. And and it, it feels as though you've really enjoyed writing these sort of individual match tactics pieces. Yeah, they've been fun, haven't they? They've been decent games. I think just the fact they get decided on the night is is quite exciting to write about, I think, more than anything else. And uh, yeah, there have been some good matches. And obviously, the fact that we're only over one leg probably means there's more of a chance of a surprise, as we saw, for example, with Manchester City against Leon. So yeah, from my perspective, if there's a surprise result, they're, uh, they're usually more fun to write. Although that wasn't the case in uh, in midweek with the two semi-finals, where they were both obviously quite easy 3-0 victories yeah. for the favourites. Those pieces on site, I reckon on average, they've had, let's say, 20 still images with arrows all over them um do you do your own arrows <laughs> yeah i do we don't have uh, we don't have any assistance yet purely to draw the arrow i think it's probably the funnest part of my job actually just drawing the, the highlights and the arrows i feel like uh, you know jamie carrig on monday night football or something so yeah all my own work ali thanks for asking well we can read all of your own work on the athletic site and if anyone's listening to this 
pardon and isn't a subscriber, which seems unlikely, but is possible, uh, then the athletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking is what you should type into your browser because then you'll get a 30-day free trial before starting an annual subscription. That means you can read everything that Michael's ever written, which would take probably about 30 days. Uh, and, and if you've got any time left over, uh, any of the other articles from the stable of excellent football writers that is on the Athletic site, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. That'll get you that. 30-day free trial. So the semi-finals saw two 3-0 wins and it's two teams packed with stars heading into Sunday night's Champions League final. Let's begin with Wednesday night's game between Bayern and Lyon. 3-0 winners, Bayern. They advanced to the final, but I wanted to start with a word on Lyon, who won a lot of plaudits, I'd say, from neutrals especially, for the way that they've played in the last month, um, but who almost ridiculously, won't even be playing European football next season, having fallen at this stage in the Champions League and finished outside even of the Europa League spots in France. We won't see this side uh, in European competition next season. And Michael, they had two huge chances in the first 20 minutes of the semi-final against Bayern. They could have been ahead. My question to you is, given that start and those chances, did Rudy Garcia get the system right in this game? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, I think, like you say, they, they emerged with a lot of credit from this Champions League mini campaign, if you like, having eliminated both Juventus and, and Manchester City. And yeah, I mean, the, the shape was interesting. It was 5-3-2, really, but with the wing-backs playing quite different roles. So Corne on the left was much more advanced than Dubois on the right. So at times it looked more like a back four. Um, and then further forward, you had you had the two up front with Depay and Toko Kambi. But then they were sometimes joined by uh, Hasim Ouar, who I think is probably the most gifted player in this mm. Leon side. So sometimes a little more like a, a front three. So there was flexibility at both ends of the pitch. And like you say, they created some seriously good chances. I mean, the the running of the front two up front in behind Bayern's high line, which I think has been probably the standout feature of you know the entire competition, really. They had three really good chances in the opening stages. Um, obviously Bayern's defence is very quick and Neuer is renowned as a sweeper-keeper but even so, it does seem to be an extraordinarily high line that uh, the Bayern were playing and Leon exploited that well. I think sometimes people think it's, you know, if there's a high line it's easy to create chances but you've got to play the right passes and you've got to make the right runs and I think they did both of those things really well just obviously the finishing that let them down. Can you explain the, the tactical reason for Hansi Flick insisting on, on holding such a high line for his Bayern side? I mean, those Two balls over the top created early opportunities for Lyon, but there must be a trade-off. So what, what do Bayern gain from it? Well, I mean, in theory, they want to press very high and win the ball quickly, which I think they have done at times uh, over the last couple of games. But, I mean, the one thing, you know, you've got to do when you're playing a high line is you've got to put pressure on the ball, you know, at all times. And I feel like Bayern's pressing is... It's quite sporadic. Sometimes they do it very, very well and win the ball quickly. But at times, particularly in that game against Barcelona... You know, th there was basically 10 yards gap between the defence and the midfield and, and Muller just ahead of them. And you can't put pressure on the ball in those situations because the midfield just aren't in a position to do so. So I've been quite surprised how easily they've been exploited throughout the tournament. I, I, I mean, it's working for them. They they won the, the Bundesliga really impressively after Flick took over and obviously have made the Champions League final. But I must say, even that in the 8-2 uh, against Barcelona, I thought in the first half they were just being exploited uh, in behind far too easily. I mean, the fact that it was Barcelona's fullbacks that were running in behind kind of sums up how aggressive their line was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite remarkable. And you, you have to think that will be the key feature of the final as well. 
Oh, we'll get on to the final in, in just a minute, but sticking with this semi-final, with this Bayern side, it kind of feels like you could go through every player and underline their importance to the team and their tactical role. But I wanted to ask you about the way they use their fullbacks, Kimmich and, and Alfonso Davies, of course. We, we seem to come to the fullbacks quite a lot on this podcast. We've sp- spoken about the way that Liverpool use theirs and the way that other teams maybe don't get as much out of their fullbacks in an attacking sense. Uh, these two, Kimmich and Davies, have very different profiles as players, but both absolutely key to the way this Bayern side works. Yeah, you're right. That's a good way of putting it. And I think last night's game was a good example of the difference in their play. I mean, Bayern's build-up play almost always went down the right with Kimmich coming either inside or overlapping. I mean, he, he played a lot of football this season as a, a central midfielder. And when there was a, a reformat from, uh, you know, uh, one manager to the next, he, he pretty much returned to right back. But he's he's something of a Philip Blam, isn't he? In the sense that he's very, very good on the ball. He has the ability to command possession, almost becoming an extra midfielder. Um, and then on the other side, you had Alfonso Davis, who we know is just incredibly quick and is much uh, more based around exploiting space, I'd say. He's, he's not just a, a speedster. I think when he's in one against one situations, he's very tricky in possession. He's, he's very good on the ball as well. But I think that you know, the way that they played really did seem formatted to, to yeah, c- completely take advantage of their their two different uh, skill sets. And as I say, you know, Leon played a, an interesting system with, with the wingbacks playing different roles as well. And I think that was kind of exploited as well by the way Bayern played. They switched the ball really quickly over to the left and, and Davies was always available on the overlap. Although, again, I think it's worth pointing out that probably Bayern's weakness was down that side in behind Davies. He's incredibly quick, but he can't recover, you know, 50 yards in a couple of seconds when Leon were playing passes mm. in behind. So, you know. <laughs> I'm sure I did see him do that at one point in the second half, but I do take your point. His recovery yeah. speed is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. So that, I mean, that really seemed the route to goal for, for Leon and maybe will be for, for PSG as well. And... While Robert Lewandowski scored the third goal, what was described on commentary as his customary goal, uh, he is making it look fairly easy at the moment. 15 goals in nine Champions League games this season, 55 in all club competitions. But it was Serge Gnabry that that scored the first two and, and takes the headlines again, really, because it's not the first time in this year's Champions League that he has starred in a Bayern win. They've won every single game that they've played in the competition this season, of course. But it's five goals now in the knockout rounds for Gnabry to go with the four that he scored against Spurs in the group stages. Uh, he really has made the leap this year, hasn't he, to, to being considered one of the top players in the world in, in his position. Uh, Michael, what stands out for you about Gnabry's game? Well, I think the first goal was a good example because he cut inside and, and smashed it into the top corner with his left foot, but he's actually right-footed. I mean, he's played on either side pretty effectively this season without really his game changing too much, regardless of what flank he's deployed on. Um, Ivan Perisic on the other side can do a pretty similar thing, as can Kingsley Coman. So they've got the ability to switch the wingers, but yeah, Serge Nabry is the one who is uh, undroppable at the moment. His Champions League form in particular has been excellent. And he's just a very efficient player, I think. There's, there's not much waste from him, I'd say. He doesn't really try things that don't come off. He just seems to, uh, yeah, get the ball, motor towards goal. He can play the final pass. He can score, as we saw twice yesterday. And, you know, there are two different types of goals, weren't there? The first one was individual brilliance, and the second one was, 
you know, the, the kind of winger goal I would associate with Raheem Sterling over the last few years, just getting into the right position in the six-yard box to to provide a tap in. So, yeah, he's been in great form. And uh, like I say, they've got options going forward, but he's uh, absolutely undroppable at the moment. Or even, dare I say, a, a Thomas Muller type of goal as well. Um, you tweeted something very clever after his goal cutting in from the right and scoring with his left foot. Classic goal from Robin, you said. Now, I mean, 1,200 likes feels a lot for that, I have to admit, but uh, that's what you get with a with a blue check and a big following these days. I, I mean, I look, I like you, Michael. I think your analysis is excellent, but for me, that was un, 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 unmerited numbers. Um, and I'm not I just got, bitter yeah. because I don't have a blue tick and lots of followers, but you know. I, actually, I do agree. I thought that was a fairly... Uh, fairly basic observation. I'm surprised it was quite so popular. But in return, Ali, I didn't really get your lip syncing Chris Kamara thing. So, uh, <laughs> you know, look that up in, on Twitter, everyone, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, going viral during lockdown. I was I was one of a select group of people. There you go. Um, okay. Well, let, should we leave personal jibes aside and move on to PSG <laughs> Leipzig? I'm kind of regretting that I ever brought that up now. Zonal Marking is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20, that's EPL20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. PSG3, RB Leipzig, nil this one on on Tuesday night. You wrote a a smashing piece on this game, which which, uh, I've spoken about, the the ones that you've been doing on site at the moment. This was probably my favourite so far. You wrote to start with that PSG were unrecognisable from the team who struggled to get past Atalanta in the previous round. Um, how would you describe just how much had changed from that game to this? They just seemed to do everything better. I mean, they had more speed up front. They pressed higher up the pitch, I thought, really well. They had more passing penetration, I'd say, from deep in midfield. And of course, this was partly because, you know, to a certain extent, it was a different team. They had Mbappe back from the start. They had Di Maria uh, back after suspension. They had Paredes deep in midfield. And, yeah, it just felt like a completely different team to me. I, I thought they were solid defensively against Atalanta, but I wasn't convinced they were going to score a goal until obviously the, the closing stages. And I think they only really did score goals because they had the the luxury, if you like, of five substitutes. And Atalanta are not a side who can compete with PSG in terms of squad depth. But yeah, against Leipzig, there was there was no problems at all. I mean, they completely dominated the first. Uh, 10 minutes, Neymar hit the woodwork twice, I think. Um, and then as soon as they went 1-0 up with that Marquinhos goal, you just couldn't really see a way back into it for, for Leipzig. So, yeah, of the two sides, obviously two 3-0 victories, but I thought PSG were, were the more comfortable of the, of the teams. Um, and of course, we'll have a, an extra day's rest going into the final as well. 
and in a team with so many star names, it, it was actually Leandro Paredes who you focused on uh, in that piece. What was it about his performance that you were such a big fan of? Well, again, I mean, just to compare it to the Atalanta game, against Atalanta, they, they played a really flat midfield, I thought, quite defensive with Marquinhos sitting in front of the defence, um, Idrissa Gay to the left and uh, Ander Herrera to the right. I mean, there's not that much technical quality in that three-man midfield for a side of PSG's stature, I would say. But Paredes came into the side for, for Gay and he played left of centre, I would say, of that three. And that positioning seemed to cause him problems. He was always dragging... Uh, Leipzig players up the pitch and then something he did really well something that reminded me of Sergio Busquets at times was just the disguise he had on the passes so he was always shaping as if he was going to hit the ball out towards the right flank and then almost cutting a reverse pass through the lines usually to Neymar Um, and I just thought it brought something different to PSG's play I think Leipzig really struggled to cope with with pushing up to close him down or with stopping the passes going into the players between the lines and for me just kind of quickened the play and made PSG much more of an all-round threat. Yeah, it was interesting that you, you pointed out he was dropping really deep at times, but, you know, left of centre and it sort of brought to mind some of the recent performances of Eva Banega in that severe side playing in the Europa League who's been doing something similar but from the, the right side of the three-man midfield and I guess it, it just makes it really difficult for the opposition to know who to send towards him to press. I mean, you mentioned that uh, in that game, the I think it was, was it Lehmer who was pressing him or, yeah, Lehmer when he came forward from the the right side of, of Leipzig's midfield three, it did just create that pocket of space um, for Neymar to, to occupy him behind and for Paredes to to pick him out. And, and similarly with Benega recently, it's felt like some of their opposition, Sevilla, haven't really known who to, to send to, to man-mark him or at least close him down. So that's quite an interesting sort of... Uh, not new, but 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 a feature of, of some of the football that we're watching at the moment in European competitions. It wasn't, of course, just about Leandro Paredes, but, but Neymar had, well, I was going to say a better game, but I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that's true because I thought he was fairly magnificent in the Atalanta game, even without much reward. Um, was the was the key here that he had the supporting cast to help him out and he, he no longer was having to or felt like he had to do it all as he did in that game against Atalanta? Yeah, definitely. I thought in the game against Atalanta, he was, you know, he's drifting wide into the positions you expect to see Mbappe in. He was dropping deep into the positions you expect to see uh, Paredes or Verratti. And he was trying to do everything, I think. And by and large, I thought he did it quite well. Like you say, aside from scoring goals, I thought he was, well, it was an outstanding display. But in this game, he had more license to receive the ball between the lines and, and getting those passes from Paredes. And yeah, he, he just seemed more of a goal threat to me, more of a threat in around the edge of the box. And uh, yeah, just everything looked more more cohesive, more comfortable for PSG. I thought they, they really looked like a, a team. And, and you don't really say that about PSG, or we haven't really said that about PSG on the big occasion in Europe over the past four or five years. It's been one of the main knocks on them, hasn't it? It's a fascinating uh, final that we have. Lastly, on PSG personnel, who do I want to ask you about? Angel Di Maria, who's getting a lot of plaudits for his performance in that semi-final as well. I think we kind of understand what Neymar and Mbappe are bringing to this team and they tend to get the headlines. Uh, But how would you describe Di Maria's role and responsibilities in this team? I'd say he's he's the third forward. uh, And I know that's a very obvious literal thing to say but I mean it in the sense that he's 
you know, he's he's dropping a little bit deeper than Mbappe and Neymar. He's I've always thought of Di Maria's quite a hardworking player, someone who's he's not an out and out winger. He plays a little bit deeper and narrower than that. I think he's willing to get into midfield and help out when needed. I think the fact that he's got Herrera behind him means that he doesn't have to do as much of that as um, at, at times for PSG over the years. But, you know, he's got the the hard work and the discipline, but he's also got the technical quality. You know, we saw with the free kick for Marquinhos' opener. Um, he's got a tremendous left foot. He can use that in a number of ways. He loves using the outside of his left foot. So, yeah, it was good to see him back. There wasn't too much focus on him before the game because everyone was, was talking about Mbappe. But I actually thought Di Maria and, and Paredes, probably of the players who came into the side, were probably more important in this game than Mbappe. So, uh, yeah, it was good to see him playing playing well. I've always liked Di Maria going back to his time with Benfica. He played in a really good Benfica side with the likes of Ramirez and David Luiz and Pablo Aymar. And, yeah, I think he's been... Obviously, a few clubs he's had in that time, but he's been fairly consistent over the last 10 years. And in general terms for PSG, you've talked about how Paredes came in and uh, and made a real impact into the way that they play. And of course, part of that is having Mbappe, who just causes such a headache for the defensive back line. Uh, and that, you know, those two, it felt like, were the ones that were really helping Neymar find those pockets of space. And uh, and uh, I guess what I'm interested in, in knowing is whether, whether you think faced up with Bayern Munich in the final, we'll see a similar setup and, and starting eleven for PSG on Sunday night. Well, what I thought was interesting was was Thomas Tuchel kept the same side on for 83 minutes and the game really was won by half-time. And obviously PSG had five subs. They've got a very deep squad, but he didn't look really to change it at all until seven minutes to go. So I would think that indicates he's quite keen to give this uh, starting 11 time on the pitch together. I think the one exception to that, ironically, considering he's, he's the player I've highlighted as being so crucial, is, is Paredes because he's under pressure from Verratti coming back from injury. Verratti got seven minutes at the end of that game, looked quite sharp. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a, a question of fitness probably for, for Verratti. He's such a good player. He can do the things that Paredes... Uh, can do but he's also probably better defensively I think he's a little bit more mobile he certainly gets stuck in more than Paredes does get his fair share of yellow cards I think it's it's worth pointing out but in a defensive sense against a, a PSG side who love breaking through the centre of the pitch quickly I do wonder whether Tuchel will, will bring back uh, Verratti that's the only change I can see really happening and isn't it kind of interesting that Ander seems to be a lock under Herrera to start the final. He started the quarterfinal and the semi-final. Um, I seem to remember a lot of people wondering why PSG had signed him in the first place back in in the summer of 2019 when he was just about to turn, what was he? He was just about to turn 30. It was quite a long contract and a very high wage reportedly. And uh, yeah, five-year contract I'm looking now. that You can see why eyebrows were raised, but... You know, I'm certainly surprised to see him establish himself. And, you know, when you talk about Verratti coming back in, there's no question that Herrera would come out. Rather, it would be Paredes who was so impressive on uh, in midweek. So, you know, uh, well done under Herrera, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised to, to see him um, such a lock in this starting eleven. Are you as surprised as I am? It's the most backhanded compliment I think I've ever heard. <laughs> you think that, Ali? Well done. I'm surprised you've done well. Um, it was meant yeah, to I be mean... like, well done, and there. <laughs> you had a load of haters and you've shut them up, certainly in the short term. But I, I just, yeah. I, I lost myself a bit, which I tend to do, as you know. It's the Jordan Henderson role, isn't it? The kind of hardworking right of centre proved the haters wrong position. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I mean, he's... Um, 
he's good in games like this, isn't he? He, he hasn't been a regular really for uh, for PSG throughout the season. He had an injury uh, start of the campaign. At other times, he's been a substitute. Obviously, at the point where he was hoping to establish himself in the side, um, the season got called off. So, yeah, he's a good player for these games. He's tactically disciplined. He's hardworking. I think with all the suspicions we had, which maybe haven't been proved true about PSG's front three not working that hard in these big games, he's just responsible and he's he's a you know a useful player to have alongside Marquinhos as well, who who obviously is a converted centre back. Is is not the kind of player who gets up and down. Um, but yeah, I'd expect him to start the final and maybe quite be quite crucial in that uh, midfield zone. And and one last note on this game on Leipzig. It was their first appearance in the Champions League semi final. Of course, uh, on this evidence and recent evidence, it seems unlikely to be their last. Uh, and and you wrote after the quarter final against Atletico Madrid that Nagelsmann had got his game plan spot on, and actually your dissection of the tactics were was fantastic. Really interesting piece. Um, four two three one out of possession, and then a kind of three one five one in possession. It's really interesting to see you break that down. Um, what did you make of the tactical setup here? They lost three nil. They they weren't really in the game, to be quite honest with you. Was there a tactical error here from Nagelsmann? Was he let down by his players or both? Or was this just a case of PSG being too good for them? Yeah, probably ultimately PSG being too good for them. I mean, coming into the game, I would have said the one thing that Leipzig are better at than PSG is is pressing high up the pitch. Mm. Um, There were two issues there. One, they didn't really do that. They stood off inside their own half and I think they struggled to adjust really how they played after going behind. Um, and the other thing was that PSG actually did press really well. I mean, three or four times that they won the ball on the edge of the opposition third. I thought Paredes was very useful in that. Um, obviously, Gulassi, the goalkeeper, had a pretty bad game in terms of playing out from the back. So that was the one area where I thought they might have, have had the advantage over PSG. And and really, they were, they were second best in that respect as well. So I thought really they were... Yeah, second best across the pitch. I, I never really saw a comeback coming here. I mean, fair play to Nagelsmann. He did change things at halftime. He brought on uh, Patrick Schick and Forsberg and he did try to, to change things and get back into the game. But yeah, I don't think it was ever going to happen. And and that's fair enough, really. You look at the starting 11s and probably I'd say Upper Meccano would get in the PSG side, um, probably headed Kimbembe. But even then, there's not much between them. And I can't really see any other player getting close to the PSG side. So I think we just have to applaud them for, for getting this far, for eliminating um, both Tottenham and Atletico Madrid, who have shown they have pedigree in getting to the final of this competition in in the last few years. And yeah, just came up against a, a better group of individuals here. It's interesting because Thomas Tuchel, the PSG manager, probably doesn't get as much credit as a lot of other managers and a lot of that is down to the, the general thought being well when you've got a set of players like that you know how much of it is down to, to how good a tactician or a motivator are you how much credit can we give you uh, to get to the Champions League final and it feels a bit harsh at times and it was a nice footnote in that game wasn't it that Tuchel had given Nagelsmann his first non-playing role uh, when Nagelsmann was in his early 20s. That was a nice footnote in that one. I p- far prefer to focus on that than uh, than what the managers are wearing on the touchline, personally. Um, <laughs> okay, now to preview the final. It's PSG Bayern. Uh, it's a pretty mouth-watering game uh, from a footballing perspective. And I know with modern managers being 
you know, flexible and, octo- and often quite unpredictable tacticians, it can be difficult to guess exactly how teams will set up and therefore predict how matches might play out tactically. But if anyone can, you can. So, Michael, do you have a, a strong idea about what this game will look like as a contest? I think Bayern will dominate. I think they are more determined to take the game to the opposition. We've seen their high defensive line, of course, I think is the key factor in the game. And also with Thiago Alcantara, I think they've got a player who um, just wants to be in charge. He wants to get on the ball. He wants to spread the play. He wants to push his side higher up the pitch. I think PSG will probably play a little bit more reactively. I think they are, certainly in the games we've seen in this mini tournament so far, They've shown more tactical flexibility to their game. They played in a very different way against Atalanta to against uh, RB Leipzig. And I think they're probably a little bit more content to sit back, to play on the counter-attack. Obviously, they've got the, the pace of Mbappe. They've got the invention of Neymar and Di Maria kind of connecting midfield and attack and, and obviously playing good passes as well when he can. So, yeah, I think Bayern will, will take charge of this game. And they are the favourites, I believe, when you look at the bookmakers. But I've got a feeling about PSG, actually. I think they, they were really impressive the other night. And I think uh, they've got a little bit more to their game in terms of the, the number of attacking threats. And, you know, it, for me, it comes back to the, the main uh, tactical question about Bayern, which is that high defensive line. I, I can't imagine they'll play as high as they did against Barcelona and against uh, Lyon. I think they will back off a little bit. But I still think Mbappe with his speed in behind will cause real serious problems. And Neymar as well. We've seen that he can go in behind the defence. He's you know, less keen to come deep when there are players in midfield who can get, uh, put their foot on the ball and play the passes. So I've just got PSG having the edge in this one, personally. Interesting. So um, an Mbappe one-on-one after a ball through the middle or over the top after in transition after a spell of Bayern possession. I mean, when there is a team that, that dominates play and who want to keep such a high line and who want to have patient possession in the opposition's half, uh, a lot of times it's important, well, obviously, it's important for that defensive unit to be strong enough to withstand sort of sustained spells of pressure. Do you think that PSG, or would you have faith in PSG being able to stand up to long spells of buying possession and pressure in their half? Is their, is their defensive unit good enough to do that? And, and they probably won't have experienced that very much, will they, this season? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I think people talk about the attackers, you know, not being tested when they go to, to PSG, you know, someone like Neymar, for example. But you're right. I think it's so much more of a factor for someone like Thiago Silva, who... Uh, obviously we'll be playing his last game for PSG, hoping to lift the European Cup as, as captain. Um, he'll have a huge game, you know, a huge test against Lewandowski. I would be relatively confident of, of Thiago Silva's ability in those situations. Obviously he's playing against, you know, the best number nine in Europe, I would say. But my concern about Thiago Silva is really in terms of pace these days. Um, and while Lewandowski is quick, he's not the kind of, you know, I would have been interested to see Timo Werner up against Thiago Silva. I think he would have given him a really difficult game against a big, tall centre forward. I think he's a bit more comfortable. Um, the others, I mean, Kempembe, I think is is more comfortable on the ball than he is defending, but I don't think he's a, a real weakness. And I think the fullbacks can defend as well. So I think maybe the weakness for PSG is in terms of the goalkeeper. I'm not quite sure what the uh, situation is with Navas in terms of his fitness. Um, but Sergio Rico, I mean, we all know he was relegated with Fulham this time last year. Um, slight surprise if we see him playing in Champions League final. And I'm not quite sure he's really up to 
this level. So, um, yeah, the goalkeepers as well. I mean, both of them in different ways could be a, a factor. Obviously, Manuel Neuer is a, a sweeper keeper. But, yeah, I think if uh, if PSG's goalkeeper is to be tested, it's probably in more of a traditional shot-stopping sense than that. Harry's sponsors Zonal Marking, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. And now, by taking less profit... Harry's offer great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. And Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. And as a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash zonal right now that's harrys.com forward slash zonal okay so many key battles across the pitch so many interesting matchups uh, and one just general question to finish this doesn't apply to the final which of course has always been a, a one match knockout tie as far as i can remember anyway um, but you did right before the resumption of the Champions League, about the fact that from the quarterfinals onwards, uh, these games would be just one match uh, rather than the traditional two-legged affairs. Um, I would be interested to know if your thoughts on what might happen, as it was then, uh, have changed based on what you have seen. I'll just run you through what you wrote towards the end of that piece, because you've done a lot since then. I dare say you might have forgotten. Um, You wrote that, as football fans, we're kind of greedy. We we want the same level of excitement from individual matches as we've had from two-legged affairs in the last few years, which have been magnificent, Um, but far more excitement in terms of the variety of sides that come out on top. So what are your thoughts now, having seen the quarterfinals and semifinals, only a small sample size, but but how would you reflect on what you wrote, well, just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I think we've broadly seen the kind of matches that we expected. As I say, I think there's more chance of an upset in a in a one-legged tie rather than over two legs. And Leon putting out Manchester City was a good example of that. Over two legs, I would have fancied Manchester City to turn that around. Um, I mean, personally, maybe this isn't, you know, the the right final matchup to make this point because obviously they've been so dominant in their respective domestic leagues but the inequality within football you know between the big sides and the rest is I think becoming a real problem and of course the way to reform that in the long run is financial reform but if you can't do that I think sporting reform is an option as well and I do think that just playing competitions over a shorter number of games might be a solution I feel that in the league as well you know I feel like For PSG, for example, playing 38 league games to decide that PSG are the best side in France is not a particularly good use of time. I think really we should be looking more towards cup competitions and one-off matches and just trying to create a bit of a surprise without having to do it artificially. Um, So yeah, I've quite enjoyed it. I'm not sure whether it will be a a long-term option for the Champions League because I know that people like the two-legged games. I think there's a great history and almost romance of having to go away from home and win at the new Camp or Anfield or whatever. But I wonder whether it could be an option for the Europa League, which um, personally, you know, should be a bit more different to the Champions League than it is. It always used to be just a straight knockout competition, whereas the Champions League was, um, you know, had a group stage. So I'd like to see maybe a little bit more variety in terms of the way the tournaments are structured. And yeah, maybe you could just have a, you know, a two week extravaganza from the quarterfinals onwards in the Europa League 
um, just to give it a bit of freshness and just to make it a bit more exciting. I dare say a lot of the participants in the Europa League would be in favour of of one-legged affairs over two-legged affairs because they they really do stack up the fixtures when you go deep into the final stages of the Europa League. Um, So that is, well, the Champions League semi-finals reviewed and the Champions League final this Sunday night between PSG and Bayern Munich previewed by Michael Cox, who officially thinks that PSG might have the edge. So, you know, not 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 on the fence, but not that far off it either, which I think is probably uh, a safe place to be. Uh, a reminder that Michael writes a lot and he writes it all on the athletic site and it's tactical stuff uh, and and some whimsy as well sometimes. The, uh, the squad number series that you did that we've referenced <laughs> at length on this podcast this season. Uh, also the Reconsidered series, which I've enjoyed reading very much. So uh, clearly a great follow on Twitter as well, um, given that he tweets such good stuff about Ian Robin and Serge Gnabry. But, um, but you can read all of his stuff on The Athletic site. And if you're not a subscriber to it, you can be if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking, uh, where you'll be able to get a 30-day free trial before you start any annual subscription. So do um, try before you buy. Give that 30-day free trial a go today, theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. It's also where you get all of The Athletic's podcasts, and there are many of them ad-free. So they're available for free on all podcast platforms, I dare say, uh, for free where you're listening now, but ad-free if you're a subscriber to The Athletic site and you listen natively through that. So do make sure you're subscribed to The Athletic. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast as well and make sure you join us again next week for a fresh topic on the Zonal Marking Podcast. (music) 